Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit a little bit about John Wick 3, Parabellum. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple. On this podcast, we like to t- talk about games, but also movies. And John Wick is a franchise that we've been following for a while. We did a John Wick 2 episode, but I don't think we did a John Wick 1 episode. I don't right? think we were recording this podcast when John Wick 1 came out. Or we were yeah, still I mean, in that phase where we like, refused what, to cover movies. Yeah. yeah, it was a while ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> How so... far we have come the past like four episodes have been like movie episodes. Uh, yeah, jeez, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we so John Wick 3 just came out in theaters to like crazy box office. Um, uh, unseating Avengers Endgame, uh, which everybody thought Detective Pikachu would do, but I ended up not doing. Uh, and I guess this is the point where we would talk about our spoiler-free reactions. My very first reaction to this that I posted in the chat was, um, John Wick 3 was incredible, the best movie I've seen all year, and might be Mad Max Fury Road level good. Yeah, uh, my take is that it's wrong and it's garbage. Um, and it's, it's, is it really that it's garbage? It's not, it's not garbage. Okay, okay. so <laughs> it's, it's hard because it ends. The, so hmm, I don't want to spoil anything. I think it goes downhill and I don't think it's nearly as good as its, as its previous two movies. And, um, I am disappointed in it. I don't think it's terrible. But by the end, I was I was tr- figuring out how much I disliked the movie, which is not wow. a good okay. which is not a good place for it to, for for it to be. Um, Yikes! And uh, yeah, we'll we'll have to talk about it in, in 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 the spoiler session. But I so if you're a John Wick fan, go see it. Um, the action is very good, um, and so it's worth it for that alone. Yeah. Especially like so. I would say the the big opening fight scene worth the price of admission for just that scene. So you know, definitely go see it if you're if you're on the fence about it. If the type of person who enjoys John Wick films, you'll enjoy this one. Um, but uh, we can get into this other stuff post the 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 the, the spoiler warning. Yeah, I, I don't really have anything else to say about post the spoiler warning. I think it's great. Um, the action is the best it's ever been. I also think that the story is the best that it's ever been um, in terms of kind of like keeping me on the edge of my seat sort of thing um which was which was kind of which was nice and uh and kind of i i guess i didn't re- quite really part of part of this is the journey that i took getting into john wick 3 i imagine and i'll explain a little bit about that in, inside of the spoiler section but um i was prepared not to enjoy john wick 3 i think i was prepared to kind of be like you know what i've already seen this movie twice before um and I'm really going to need something new and fresh in order to kind of, like, keep me in in here. Um, and that I, – I felt like I got that this time, uh, which was really nice and unexpected, I guess I would say. Um, but the rest of that conversation should probably sit behind the spoiler warning. So if you don't want to be spoiled, three, two, one. Yeah, go, go do something else. Uh, but spoilers, yeah. Uh, so, th- so the the overall story outline of John Wick three is that John Wick has been, you know, excommunicado, excommunicated from the the high table League of Assassins or whatever. Um, he goes to Casablanca to call in a favor. First, he, first he calls in a favor with his with Angelica Houston, right? Like this 
ballet master uh, choreographer who is uh, the woman who kind of trained him. You find out that John Wick is like, he's actually Ukrainian and part of the Ukrainian mafia. Um, and then he, and she gets, she smuggles him out of New York city. And then he goes to Casablanca where he connects with another member of the high table whom owes him from the, from the market. She's not a member she, of the high table. She's a member of management, which is, is it, are those two things different? Yeah. I assumed management and high table were the same. No, 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 no. So the, the high table are the head of the families. I think it's, it's not super well defined, which is part of the mystique of John Wick. But the management is not the high table, right? This is why okay. Winston gets in trouble with, with the oh, adjudicator. Oh, because Winston is management. Yeah, Winston he is, is not management on the high table. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Interesting. No, no, none of the management is on the high table, is my understanding. They're like pseudo independent, I think. Okay, um, I thought that the opposite was true. I think I thought that Winston held the same rank as Santiago or whatever his name was from John Wick Two. Was that his name? Yeah, yeah, and I don't, I don't think. Um, I, I don't think it's true. I think part of the mystique of this is the only people, members of the high table that we've seen are the Santiago's. Um, Fair enough. And uh, they uh, so together, John Wick and you know his 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 buddy, I guess, uh, infiltrate the facility that prints the gold coins and the markers, um, and kill a bunch of dudes there, and then go out into the desert where John Wick meets the elder who sits above the high table and cuts off his finger in order to, like, earn his penance, and he needs to go kill Winston in order to earn his spot back in the high table. He goes back to New York City, intent to kill Winston, but then Winston convinces him not to do that, defeats a gazillion of like the high table super uber mega troopers um and then in the very end winston's show of force winston bar bargains his show of force basically using john wick um to get back in the high table's good graces and then attempts to execute john wick in like the very final you know bit of the the very final bit of the movie so john has been betrayed by Winston, yeah, confidant for most for most of the of the three films. So I'm, I'm I th this is not one of the reasons why I dislike the film, but I, I was like, I wasn't sure if he actually betrayed him or not, right? Like I was like, oh, this is like how he gets out or whatever, right? Like this is, um, this is you know a, a, a diversion, right? Like Winston didn't tell him, but you know this was this is a, obviously a ploy, and like. It seems weird to me that Winston at the end, when John Wick disappears from the alley, is just like, I get, you know, guess I won't have to deal with him anymore, right? Like, like Winston, I, I can't believe that Winston believes that John Wick's actually dead if his body's gone, right? Like, Winston is the is the person who so far has always been like, look, you don't know what shit you're getting into when you cross John Wick, right? Um, and so I, I, I don't know. It, it, that, that feels weird to me. Um, I have, or rather, like, I could believe that next movie we get like a line that's like, I did this on purpose so you could get out. How do you not understand this? Um, See, I, that's interesting. Maybe that is the case. Uh, the, the thing that I was going off of was like the conversation that Winston yeah. had with John where he says, don't make this personal. Right. Right. You know? Um, and, and I thought that that was like, and so I think it could go either way really. And in yeah. a certain sense, the kind of mystery of it is, you know, in a certain, like, all that much more appealing. I think, but, but I want to lay out a little bit of my journey to getting into John Wick 3, because I feel like this okay. is important to contextualizing why I like the movie so much. I actually rewatched John Wick and kind of had this, like, 
little feeling in my gut like wow is it really this like not great i just remembered it being better than it was in a way and and i guess i still felt like it was good but just like rewatching it i was just kind of like man like I Killed really thought that that was it better. from me and like it's I got some like that trash stuff, tier to dialogue honest, like um, but like, I don't know. It just, I don't, I really can't explain it any much more than like, I think I just had remembered it fonder than it happened to be. And then I watched John Wick two, which I also remembered very fondly. And I was kind of like, eek, what is this? You know? Um, and so I had a really tough time kind of like following the plot of that story in a weird way. And I think maybe that was endearing at the time, but this time I just kind of felt it to be like a little bit muddled and confusing. Um, in terms of kind of like the rules of the universe and the world building, that was the, that was the stuff that always worked so well. I felt about John Wick was all these implications at like the greater kind of uh, kind of world, and I felt like John Wick Two um, was sort of too vague for its own good about that. Um, and then I also just kind of felt like the action wasn't as great as I remembered. So I was a little bit primed to be like, has John Wick not been super great like this whole time? Um, and uh, and then when I went into John Wick Three. And was and you know was I just very quickly got right back up into the swing of things. Um, I thought that this had the best action of the three of them. Um, I've seen a couple of complaints that said it was a little bit overlong, and I just I don't know. I thought the ballet stuff in the middle of the movie was like a nice kind of like rooting metaphor in the sense that like part of it is just like getting swept up in the choreography of it all, and I very much felt that way. <clears throat> about the action in the movie. Um, and I thought that the fight scenes were more varied this time around than just kind of like gun shoot guns, which was a little bit of kind of my disappointment with John Wick 2, um, is that it was a little bit too much of the same. Um, but, you know, like all of the locations in this movie were used really well. I felt like, you know, doing the fight in the stables. Is that the opening fight that you were talking about? No, it's the Knife Museum fight. Um, as I've seen it oh, called yeah. on <laughs> that was, is That's exactly what I'm talking about, right? Like, you have the Knife Museum fight, which I thought was so great. Because, um, you know, like, they're surrounded by these weapons. And, uh, and it opens and with him reconstructing a revolver, which is like, you know, you have, like, all the gun porn in these movies, right? And then, like, they finally yeah. take it back to, like, him, like, literally, like, rechambering a revolver. Just just get a single shot off because fuck it, right? Like, mm. and, you know, that, that scene was great. The, the, b before we get too far away from the, uh, the, the first two movies, uh, there was something I wanted to say about that, which is... Um, funnily enough, on like a Supreme Court podcast that I listened to, I heard it. Ref I, I I heard them say that like John Wick one is like has like some banger singles, and John Wick two is like the better album, which is something I hadn't thought about. But going back through the two of them, I think I definitely agree with that sentiment. And for my money, I think of all three of the movies, you don't get a better gun gunfight scene than the club in John Wick one. Um, I think that's like the still yeah. the pinnacle of of, of gunfighting in, in in these movies. Um, yeah, and I, and this is this is a kind of what I liked about John Wick three is that I felt like John Wick three was like you know what we're not going to top that so let's do something completely different sure. right and kind of um, each of the fights in this movie had different parameters that were very well communicated to the audience right, right? like you know so for instance you need to shoot. Like, you need to shoot these guys under their armor in the very end fight scene, right? Um, or the kind of three-dimensionality and the dogs of the Casablanca fight scene. was That, that, that was, like, that was all 
that I needed. Um, especially just because, like, I can't believe it took us three movies to see John Wick fight with a dog. It wasn't even his dog, right? <laughs> um, it, it was also a, a shorter fight scene, which I think was good. I think I, I can agree with the criticism is that the, the, the third movie is a little long on the tooth. Um, but I think that's particularly I, – I, this particularly tied to some of my issues. And, and the, the single biggest one, I think, is the character of Zero. Um, okay, who, that's interesting. Um, and and uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna you know, tongue in cheek blame this on you. Um, the moment where he fanboys out over John Wick in the Continental is the moment that he stops being a good character, and it just kills me. Like, okay, I I just can't deal with the the bathos moment, and it it's it just makes him such a worse character. And he wow, suddenly go, interesting. goes okay. He goes from being this badass to being like this like weird whiny fanboy who can't like who like you know like he he almost goes from like ninja to like syndrome from incredibles um which is like (laughs) not what i want out of my john wick villain Mm -hmm. um and on top of that like his whole like his fight with with zero's henchmen um they keep pulling their punches and it just pulls all the stakes out of that fight for me Right, like he, like there are several times where they should kill John Wick, but they won't, and mm. like it feels bad, and it feels bad in a way where like it's like this, this doesn't really prove anything about John Wick, right? Because like they just keep fighting him until he figures out how to beat them, and you know I appreciate that he doesn't kill the you know the the last two because you know he says be seeing you instead and then just kind of like lets them be and then he has the the final fight with zero but they just seem like it's well choreographed and it's a very pretty fight but it's so pointless because it's 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 you know john wick's gonna get out of it and not for meta plot reasons but because we know that they won't kill him and it's it's Cause just, they, yeah because they demonstrate that in universe yeah yeah and and i i, I just hated it so much i also like uh, and that, that that's my my biggest problem. I'll let you respond to that before I go into my my other problem. Well, I, you know, I actually do think that that's a little bit fair in a way. Like hearing that, I get it, and I don't think I disagree with the conclusion in a way. I think I was what I was really interested about in that fight scene, um, and part of what I liked about this movie so much is that like there was a lot of it um, uh, where where you know like John Wick is competing. Okay, so, like, thematically speaking, right, like, if John Wick 2 is kind of about, like, John being bound to his past, right, and kind of having to, like, wrestle with the decisions that he made as a previous, you know, like, in in, in that previous life of his, uh, which I think is fair, you know, like, strong enough. This one I feel like is kind of like John dealing with his own legend, in a way, um, and so that felt, like, appropriate and I really liked the mercy, you know, like ending the fight with the do henchmen and just kind of saying, you know, I'm out. I'm not here to I'm not here to execute you kind of thing. I thought that that was like poignant. And I felt like those things for me kind of just like overshadowed the problems enough that it doesn't bother me. Do you know well, what I mean? So like if they had fought to a standstill and let them go, I would have accepted that. But them like letting him get back up like at least twice just kind of like ruined that for me um like it, it i don't know it, it it just felt it felt not great and and maybe i could have dealt with it for just those two guys right 
um, if there wasn't this whole, like, the, the whole structure thing where, like, like, if Zero is going to say, you only die by my blade, right? Like, why is he having his henchmen fight him at all, right? Like, and that just, like, if these two guys on their own volition were like, you know, well, this is the great John Wick. We're going to have a great fucking fight, right? Like, you know, then I get it. I buy it because it's them doing it. But, like, there's this sense that it's Zero who's, who's, who's enforcing this. Right? And that that feels bad. Well, so I think Zero is sending the henchmen just to tucker John Wick out. You know what I mean? Like, to... and Which kind of, in a certain sense, sort of, like, excuses their inability to kill him. You know what I mean? Like, their job isn't to kill John Wick. It's just to... Right, but they could have. Right? Like, there there is a moment where the two of them have their knives to his neck and they let him back mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Um, right, but I'm just saying, like, they are fulfilling their purpose in not... You know, like, their purpose is to exhaust John, not kill him. Sure. Right? Sure, sure. Um, so that's kind of... In, in a way, I sort of think that's fine. It It, it, it is not... It, it, I guess we're just going to have to disagree I, You know, I, I, I think... That, I, I, I do agree with you. I think that the problems that you laid out are real, and I... And, I don't think that you're you are, for instance, like misinterpreting things, right? Um, I just kind of feel like the movie is just good enough to get over that hump, and I'm not gonna like worry about it. I I would mark the, I would mark the movie down for this, right? This is no, you know maybe maybe like this isn't a, a Mad Max Fury Road anymore, and it's an A minus whatever an A minus movie might like look like. I think that that's pretty fair. Um, but yeah. So the other big thing is and, – and this is specifically with some of the world-building stuff like, you know, the the whole trip out to Casablanca and out to the Elder is is is, is a giant co- plot cul-de-sac. Another thing that you taught me. Curse you, buddy. You've cursed I'm me sorry. with knowledge. Um, but uh, – and, you know, that's – I think that would be mostly fine except that like – I think – so the thing that really bothers me the most I think is specifically the Elder who sits above the high table, right? Like mm-hmm. if – it just feels like it's out of nowhere – the you know, first time we're introduced to it is when he's talking to to Bron because I don't know the actor's name, which is yeah. which, which is a, did an awful job in this movie, by the way. What was that accent, my boy? <laughs> like, <laughs> Jesus. Um, but you know, it's like if we had known that this was like the thing that needed to happen from the beginning of his his journey, right? Like if he had either said to the doctor or like somebody told him this is your only way out right like you got to go find mm-hmm. the, the the elder right um then i think i would have been mon- more on board with it but it's like this weird it's this weird it almost feels like a deus ex machina maybe asshole's a better term for it but just kind of like it's whereas the, the world building's always built on these kind of like breadcrumbs right like it feels like the breadcrumb introduced too late, and the elder himself is so unspectacular as to like, just like like why does he sit above the high table? He just looks like a normal dude with dumb knots on the side of his head. Um, I, which I couldn't. This is, this is a stupid minor detail, but I couldn't stop looking at his turban. He had these like two monkeys' fists that were like spray painted gold, and these are like <laughs> knots that I used to tie in Boy Scouts for fun. So I was like, this, this looks so stupid. <laughs> That's funny. But like, it like, there's nothing to, like you know, it, there's nothing that's communicated to me about like why this guy is so special. He's just like a dude that apparently can do whatever he needs to, and he just says it, and he's like there for like 
all of five minutes on screen to get John Wick to cut his finger off. And, like, I don't know. Like, I I guess I just didn't buy John Wick's – like, I didn't buy John Wick's rationale for any of it, right? Like, I'm going to really? go – See, because I think that that's the important part. All of that stuff is – that that stuff is good because it speaks to John's character and John has sure. real agency in the story, right? Like like John commits to killing Winston. He wouldn't cut his finger off otherwise, right? Like he right. makes that choice and then unmakes it later. And those moments of real agency with like his psyche at work um we're just, you know, like, I, I talk about plot robots, right? Like, I've talked about plot robots in episode 7 before, where, like, the characters don't have real motivations. They just kind of do what the plot requires them to do. I mean, to be topical about it, that's a lot of Game of Thrones season 8, right? You know, like, there are, there even in season 7, there are bits of this, right? Where people will say or do things that are, even if not, like, wildly out of character... They are just things that have to happen or else the plot cannot advance in the way the writers want them to. Um, and, John, and, and John Wick very, very much avoids that problem because we are almost in a way better able to see John in this movie compared to some of the other movies. Like he was a little bit more mysterious, but like John laying out his rationale for living as I want to live so that I can remember the love I had with my wife. Right. Like that is real. And that's kind of like palpable. And so all of that stuff basically I think carries the kind of uh, the Casablanca stuff. And I wouldn't call it a plot cul-de-sac for that reason. Right. Like John clearly defines and ma- he he makes clear choices about himself and his journey through these moments. Um, and he outlines his character for the audience in a really important way so that we can understand and empathize with John. And so that that's the that's like the kind of use of those scenes, um, if you know what I mean. Yeah. No, I, 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 I get it. I just me, – me. Maybe just the way it was phrased, but, like, I want to live so I can remember her just felt, like, it felt weird and it felt, like, unbelievable in a way, I guess is the the way I'm going to have to put it. Like, Like, if he had said, I want to live because my wife wanted me to live, right, like, I would have bought it more, but, like, I want to live to remember her just feels, like stupid and you know and abstract wow. in a way that, that, that i just didn't buy right but, but buy very well i guess is the right way to put it uh um. okay i yeah i've you know i don't know i, I don't know that there's a a way that i could like convince you otherwise yeah no no way, I, you know I, I, I mean yeah i i like like i said i i think i think also if like if he, like I said, like if, if if any of this had come up a slightly earlier in the movie, right? That like we're like we got like a little bit of an insight into why he was going like going through all this because it feels like raw survival, which is fine, right? Like that that makes sense. That's how John Wick's been for the past, you know, I guess two movies. He's just been fighting to survive, and you didn't need like a a, a super big motivation beyond that, but like. 
I don't know. See, I think that is the point that I disagree with you. I feel like that is kind of the thing that I was sort of feeling when I watched John Wick 1 and 2 over again. Part of me actually sort of thinks that maybe I'm not supposed to, you know? Like, maybe John Wick is just kind of such a simple story of visual splendor in a way that I shouldn't treat it like a Marvel movie where I need to watch it again to, you know, refresh myself on all the, like, the continuity bits and the Easter eggs and, you know, all of that kind of, uh, all of that kind of stuff, right? Like... Maybe John Wick is not that kind of movie, which I sort of think I'm, I'm a little bit half and half on. Um, but I do think that I just, I, I, you know, because we've had two movies where John Wick is kind of driven by this need for kind of like survival or vengeance. He's like very basic things. I do think I needed something more out of him as a character. Otherwise, I probably would have felt like, you know, it's just, like, more of the same. Do you know what I mean? Like, in a way, I feel like I reached a new level of John Wick, and I connected with John Wick on in a new way because, like, the movie opened him up for me, if that makes sense. Um, <clears throat> which is part of the reason why I was so on board with it. Yeah, so I, I, I don't, so I, I don't want to say that I think you're wrong, because I, I definitely think that... Having that motivation. I love how we're bending over backwards to be like, you're definitely not wrong. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, it's, it's like the first time this has ever happened on this podcast. <laughs> we are so happy to be like, no, you're wrong, and here's why. <laughs> like, it's it's <sighs> what it is is I, I guess like I guess like the motivation of I am surviving because you know like animal survival instinct was enough to get me to get me through. And, like, working on that presupposition and then just having it kind of yanked out and replaced with this thing that seemed kind of strange was was what kind of, like, made it rub me the wrong way, right? Like like, like I said, if, if, if like, he was at a point where he's, like, st- sitting, you know, like, I, I, I can imagine this, like, theoretical scene in my mind where he's, like, ready to just be like, well, I guess this is fucking it then, right? And then, like, then he decides, you know, like, oh, no, I have to keep living for her or whatever. I'd buy it more. But it, it just feels like you had, like, like he, he had, like, a perfectly understandable motivation. And then it, it just – it comes in with this with this new motivation that that, that, that just seems sprung on, on us, right? Like, it's not like, you know, I was like, why does he keep going? I don't understand, right? Like, I had a perfectly – reasonable understanding of, of why he kept going is because he doesn't want to die because people generally do not want to die um and not that it wasn't cool that or what wasn't nice that he got another motivation it just felt poorly timed i, I guess is, is 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 the the best way i'm going to settle on expressing this fair enough yeah um some of the stuff i wanted to highlight in the action was how much like the chekhov's guns were getting fired i felt like basically every time they entered a location that was like interesting for some way like i i specifically thought about this when they went into the the stables because first of all that's something that is so new york but i never think about you know what i mean like you you see like the central park carriages or whatever with the horses and stuff like that um and I just have never considered once in my life that there must be stables somewhere in New York for those for those horses to be stabled, right? Uh, but as soon as they entered there, I was like, John Wick is going to kill a guy by getting a horse to kick him in the face. Yeah. He does it like <laughs> twice. Twice! 
<laughs> which I was just like, oh, this is the greatest. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, well, honestly, for me, it was him riding the horse and dueling with the motorcycle while he's on the horse. And this just kind of like also speaks to the fact that Keanu like does so much training for these movies. Because oh, it, yeah. it's Keanu on that. Like I, I thought about this because it's like, a dude in a helmet on the motorcycle and you know, whatever they were kind of faceless goons anyway, but it's like, you know, it's Keanu very clearly Keanu on the horse being Keanu on a horse, like going side, like sideways off the horse to dodge like gunfire. Like Jesus Christ, this is fucking nuts. Honestly, the craziest part about that was the contrast with Halle Berry, who was clearly trying to do the exact same thing. Um, but she was just, and, I, and, you know, and this isn't to shit on her or, or anything. I think she did fine in a sort of, like, Tom Cruise sort of, like, I do my own stunts way. Um, but, like, there was a – but, like, she – you know, like, she is up against, like, the Grandmaster, essentially, right? Where you're watching John do these things. And, like, the, all of the guys are stunt guys, but it is, like, really, like, tight and cleanly choreographed, right? And Halle Berry is kind of doing like it's good, right? It's it's like it's like it's like what is it like? It's like Batman in the warehouse scene, right? Of of Batman versus Superman. Like the action is good, but you can tell that it is like staged. And that's kind of part of the point and it's sort of like normal. And the thing that is transcendent about John Wick is how much better than that it is, right? It is like yeah. the defining thing that makes it so amazing. And so like because there was sort of this like good but normal stuff with Halle Berry next to the truly amazing stuff with Keanu, um it kind of made me be like, "Ooh, Come on, Hallie. You could be faster about that. Like, there's this part where she reloads the gun. And it's a cool bit, right? Where she's reloading her pistol with the guy that she's on top of. She takes a, a clip out of his thing. And, like, that's a cool thing, right? That's that's neat. She, she needs to reload. So she pulls a clip out of the dude that she's, like, beating on, reloads, and she shoots him. And the whole thing just kind of, like, took, like, a second and a half. And I couldn't help but, like, realize for that split second... That the dude was just sitting there waiting for her to reload the gun. And listen, man, it is so it is still fast, right? A second right. and a half to load a clip, chamber around, and fire is insanely quick. But like it just was like just slow enough that I was like that edge, you know? Yeah, th- there's a uh, another part about this too, which is I think part of the the part of what builds John Wick. The, the action to believability is John isn't perfect, right? Like, he's very good, but he's not, like, he's not perfect, right? Like, he takes blows. He felt, like, you know, in the first, in the late club scene, he gets thrown off of a balcony in the, in the... In the oh, yeah, under the gun. Ugh. Yeah. And, <laughs> that, that might be my favorite detail of that whole fight, because they show you the gun that he has on, like, in the small of his back or whatever, yeah. like, a couple of times. That's, like, its own Chekhov's gun, because then he falls onto his back and he's, like legitimately like stunned by the pain for you know 10 seconds or whatever yeah and and uh what was the other one in, in this movie like he he takes like i think he takes a knife into the shoulder at some point in the museum i think like it yeah. gets thrown into him when they're doing a bunch of dumb throwing knife stuff and when i say dumb i mean like great because it was it was fantastic but um i don't think any of that really happened during the halle berry fight scene i don't think halle berry ever really got hit and i think that that really kind of like 
plays into what you're talking about where she it's you know like she's a normal action hero in a john wick movie which is just can't help but being a little bit lesser right and and uh yeah and you know again that's not to say that she did a poor job it's just it's just that it's you know she she she's not she's not she's not our sweet baby boy Keanu who yeah. is so good and, and, and perfect. And, there, and that action scene was great, mostly because of the dogs, right? You know, like finally, like like I said, getting a John Wick scene where like the dogs are part of the action, yeah, and like messing dudes up was just really awesome. Like the one part where she like directs the jo- dog to jump up the wall. <laughs> Or whatever, like it was clearly like the climactic moment and like the coolest moment of this, like you know, whoever the stunt dog person was like, hey, listen, you know, all you need to do is give him a little bit of a platform and he could leap that eight foot wall, sort of thing. Um, but that was absolutely what I was kind of like. That's what I was there for <laughs> was watching the dogs, you know, uh, go around and you could tell she was like directing them and stuff. But all of the directions seem to just be her saying, Ha! <laughs> Dracarys! <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Did you like her character? Like, you know, would you be mad if she came back in John Wick 3, 4, 4? John Wick 4? I wouldn't be Actual mad. It's just for real this time. I wouldn't be mad. It's just that it, she, she didn't have a lot of character. Right? Like, I, th- I thought the second half of this movie was going to be like... You know, everybody's excommunicate or they adjudicated the high tables adju- uh, uh, excommunicating John Wick's friends, and now and now they're all going to band together, and John Wick's going to take down the high table, and it's going to be the greatest thing ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, not that I'm mad that that didn't happen, just like it's it's not what I thought it was, right? Like and and like she just she's just not super relevant. This happens a couple of different times in these movies, right? Like Cassian in this in the second movie, right? Like. I have been waiting for him to come back for like one and a half movies because, you know, he le- John Wick leaves him alive. And I was like, oh, when is he coming back? And the answer is not yet. Maybe never. Um, uh, and it is. And, you know, that's I guess it's it's whatever. It's just like I, I just, you know, it, it, it feels like there wasn't an, there's not enough meat there for it to like matter if that makes sense fair either enough. way um i like i you know i i think i like the uh i like the, the the moment that she has with him where you know the way that he earned her marker in the first place was by getting her daughter out of you know like out of the life or whatever um it was like it was a nice moment because like in a certain sense this movie has sort of like fetishized the like the criminal world and i once saw I, like i saw somebody tweet about john wick where it's just where he was just like oh boy i can't it was like a shitty tweet but somebody was just like oh boy i can't wait to see fucking like justified white killer boy the movie or whatever and i was like john wick is better than that but then i was like is he really though like you know he doesn't really do all that much good shit in a way so it was nice to get a little bit of that in this movie to see that you know like yeah he is legitimately a good person who does good things even if his like one true calling is murdering people 
Yeah, I, something that something that always that, that has struck me like starting with two and keeps going in this movie too is like there are so many people who are assassins. Like, is there anybody who isn't an assassin? Oh my god, <laughs> I I thought about that earlier where I was just kind of like, what is the ecosystem of this of this world like? So for instance, like, and imagine and it's just like imagine how big the operation is in fucking Westeros. Eight people learning something means that a secret is bound to get out right there is no way that secret is going to be kept in john wick you have like these buildings full of people all who are you know part of this labyrinthine order with all of these byzantine codes of conduct and none of them ever talk right like yeah you know? and and it's and you know it's it's i'm pretty sure supposed to be like this could be happening in new york right now right like it, yeah. and like just like the sheer like, and you know, this this is kind of like weird, kind of like what you see illusion, but like, you know, the fact that like, you know, upwards of ninety percent of people in some scenes are all of like a regular city street are like members of the assassin guild. This is this came this was like I think the 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 biggest when John Wick is uh when 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 uh. When when he goes when, when the first contract is opened on him in the second movie and there's yeah. like assassins like like he's walking down the street and like every third person is an assassin it's like how many assassins are there like how do they all have work there yeah exactly many. how do they all get that much money who is paying these fucking like bills or whatever um, you know in, in a certain sense I think uh, in a certain sense I, I you know I think it doesn't like matter in, in the way that like it doesn't really matter in the marvel universe like it's just yeah. a different universe the, things work differently but i do kind of wish that they had some sort of like um i do kind of wish they had some sort of i guess like lampshade for it um in the sense that like in men in black for instance they include a bit of logos in the memory eraser d- diddly popper right the neuralizer yeah. which you know which like includes the which includes this information for you the viewer to know that you are go that like the reason that it is secret is because they actively keep us harry potter is the same thing right like the reason things are secret is because they fucking like memory charm the shit out of these like muggles or whatever and i was kind of wondering about that like i bet you could i think you could make a, a legitimate kind of like john wick sort of conflict out of this where it's like john wick is doing his shit i mean he's having like gun battles in fucking the streets of like the upper east side so you know he, it's he not murders like, three people with the pencil in a you know in the second movie like in like a, i think it's a subway right like yeah like no one's just gonna like let that happen <laughs> he murders a guy he murders a guy in the middle of grand central station because when he comes back from Casablanca and he meets, like, Zero or whatever, he, like, stabs one of Zero's dudes and he just falls to the side. And, like, nobody questions it. But I was thinking about that, like, in sort of, like, you know, almost, like, in Bruges or something like that where, you know, John gets put in a position where you know, some innocent person sees and immediately understands this, like the the killing that has happened and he now has to make the terrible choice to kill them to silence them sort of thing um i don't know that's the thing that could happen yeah like it would feel weird if they did it like now because it's been like you know three movies of who cares right like 
you know, the, the old dude shows up and it magically goes away and everything's great. Yeah. Um, who I think is, I think that old dude's like the, from, he, hasn't, he didn't show up in the third movie. Neither did Jimmy, which made me sad. Jimmy the cop. Um, oh, yeah, I like the cop. Yeah, I mean, John Wick's house is burned down, so yeah, what yeah. are you going to do? No, I, I, know, I know why, just, you know. Um, uh, it's the, the, the old dude, I think it's supposed to be a reference to like the, like a, maybe an homage to the guy in Pulp Fiction who does like the same thing. Yeah, the cleaner or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what that is. I like that bit in the in the beginning with the doctor. My, fa- I think my favorite part of that is John's lack of hesitation in shooting the doctor. As soon as the doctor tells him where to shoot, he fires the gun, which is yeah. very like every second matters, every second counts kind of thing. Um, and I was, and I remember I also felt good because I immediately caught it when he was um, when he was like looking for the medicine, and the doctor told him which which shelf or whatever. I was like, oh no. You can't give him services. No, doctor, kind of thing. Um, if John Wick was a more brutal movie, I feel like John would have had to like kill the doctor. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I think that's kind of like the point, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, like everybody has gotten themselves in deep shit because, you know, everybody kind of likes John Wick and they're willing to yeah. bend the rules for him. But then this is adju- like, you know, by the way, the adjudicator's probably my favorite character in any of these movies. And it's probably because of my weird, like, Supreme Court fetish. But, like, it's just like, yes, rules. Dumb rules with dumb arbitrary, arbitrary like, enforcement. This is my jam. Absolutely. I actually was thinking about you the entire time. I, you know, so <clears throat> at first I was a little bit, like, wondering. Like, I was like, are they really going to do kind of this, like, you know, uh... Like, female boss at the end of a John Wick movie again? Because that was another piece of John Wick 2 that didn't really work for me, is um, the Ruby Red's whole, like, mute character, I felt like was just not a great mini-boss. It's probably why I'm probably grading zero on a little bit of a curve, because on the second through, on the second go-round, I thought that she was not great. Um, so, but... so this this is an interesting thing, Um just, just as a, as an aside for that movie, real quick. Um, I, I actually read a, a take on this: is that you know she does well until she gets into like a hand to hand fight with John Wick, which is you know fairly realistic for a man fighting a woman. Is that she would go down pretty quickly, and I wonder if that was on purpose or not. Like that's that, which I just thought it, I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, um, you know maybe. Um, but, at, but, and so at first I was like, oh God, like John is going to have to kind of like fight the adjudicator. But then pretty quickly I kind of picked up that the adjudicator wasn't a bad, you know, like she was not a fighter. Right. She was a, she was a bureaucrat essentially. Like Winston. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, uh, and once I, and once I kind of like keyed into that, I was like, ooh, this is, this is neat. This is fucking neat. I also just love the, the bulletproof fight at the very end, um, because yeah. I thought that was really satisfying, right? Like, in the second movie, this is also part of my problem with the second movie, they, they showcase there's this suit that fucking stops bullets, and I was like, all right, we're getting a little Batman for me, but sure, I'm kind of on board. But it's kind of like, why does nobody ever use these suits against John sort of thing? And then it's like, oh, no, yeah, like, here are people who are specifically trained to or, – or who are – not trained – specifically presented to kind of shore up weaknesses – counter to John's strength, right? He, you know, he's really accurate with a pistol, but it doesn't fucking matter if I have, like, a full giant face mask that just, like, deflects all of your bullets, John, sort of thing. 
Um, and then and then having to go get the shotgun, but the shotgun has it its own inherent weaknesses, right? Because it takes forever to reload. And so you're watching him, and he's, like, you know, throttling around, throttling around. Every shot has to count. All of that stuff, I thought, was, like, gangbusters um, in a way that, <clears throat> in a way that, like, really was just, oof, chef's kiss. <laughs> yeah, and if I, part and parcel of that, too, was, like, finally getting Cher, like, seeing uh, Sharon or whatever. He, he's Sharon, right? He's, he's the fucking... Oh yeah, the French guy, the the concierge. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, finally, getting him to like uh, to, to do something, I thought was I thought was great. Like he's he's consistently one of my favorite characters uh, in in these movies. So so ha- getting his moment, him getting his moment in the sun was 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 great. Um, that, that whole that whole sequence where they keep running back to the vault to get more weapons just felt so gamey to me, but in a good way. It's like yeah. <laughs> Was just sitting, you know, like it, 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 it was. It was a fun movie. I just, it just the flaws at the end, just like, just it, it kills me that. Did you that, did you like the sword fight with Zero? So like that was the point class. at which I was kind of getting tired, right? Okay. Like, um, like I think like if I was kind of, you know, to to pull back and look at, it, I'd say like the fight with Zero was pretty decent, but like the fact that it was after like long multiple minutes of other sword fights that had their stakes pulled out of them that were deflating for him. I just I just didn't care at that point. Yeah, the other cool thing about that fight that I liked a lot was like John sort of like learning in the moment to kind of like counter Zero's like I disappear sort of thing. There's actually a very cool there there are a bunch of callbacks in that fight that are really awesome just from like a choreography standpoint where um in the fight with the two henchmen John is clearly kind of on like the back foot fighting in this glass room and they are using the room better than he is. Um, and that flips with zero, right? Like over the course of his fight with zero, he starts do, you know, like I, I, the, with the sword slashing against the glass, there's like one specific shot that's mirrored both times. And it's like five seconds apart. Well, it's not five seconds. It's like five minutes apart where like, you know, he strikes, but John is through the glass, and John knows that the glass will hold the like the blade or whatever. So it's that was that was probably one of the things that makes me kind of like forgive some of like the stake stuff because like it is the visual kind of action language communicating to you sort of John's incredible ability to learn and adapt on the fly, right? He just fought two people who were using all of these tactics and strategies against him. And in his very next fight in the very same room, he starts using those tactics and strategies against Zero, which I thought was just like, ah, so cool. Yeah, no, I, 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 I can't, I can't say anything against that. That's also kind of very gamey in, but in a good way, right? Like, is, is is John Wick maybe the the Dark Souls of of movies? Mm-hmm. Um, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I always say that because that, that is a very Dark Soulsy thing, right? Like you, yeah. you learn how to fight Dark Souls, <laughs> and then you fight Dark Souls. Um. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. Like, like you know, the action in John Wick is good, right? Water is wet, salt is salty. Uh, uh. And I, it, it, it's one of those things where, like, I get, like, if the action ever falters, the, the movie will just kind of fall out from under it. Um, uh, but, yeah. Um, 
I almost wonder, is there like more to talk about? 45 minutes on John Wick. It's like, it's simultaneously so simple and so complex, but I only watched it like the one time. And I feel like I touched on all of the cool little tidbits that I wanted to highlight. Um, yeah, I mean, like, you know, the world building stuff is, is the stuff that really, that really is like my jam. And like, it's, there's not like a ton of new stuff to talk about in there, right? Like, um, you know, we kind of get solidified that the Bowery is kind of outside of the the organization, but the organization knows about it and isn't going to let it like operate with impunity, right? Like, um, um, oh, that was uh, what, what's what's uh, Jason Manzukis, right? Like, um, when he in that first thing, it was like maybe they just found Jason Manzukis on a street and just had him yell at John at Keanu Reeves for a little while and that was his yeah, role. Yeah, I couldn't in the movie. imagine. I I was like, "Holy fuck, is that Jason Manzukis?" Yep, that is exactly who that is. <laughs> and like just like being Jason Manzukis, right? Like if Jason Manzukis was a homeless dude, that is exactly what he would look like. Um but you know, I I I thought like it feels like there's a lot of these kind of little things in here where like People just want to be in the John Wick movie now because it's cool. There's a lot of these little cameos. Um, but it's, you know, it's it's fine, I guess. But I think you're right. I think there's not maybe a lot more to talk about because it is a ultimately a, a relatively simple movie. Um, yeah. Do, do, do you have anything else you want to talk about with it? I guess I guess I don't. I guess that's I guess that's enough for me on uh on John Wick. I do think that the gaminess of the of the movie t- continues to be part of what makes it so great. Um in like the the video game satisfaction of just like shooting guns and killing guys um and and I wish I had like a better or more complex take than that. You know what I mean? Like I feel like that's such like a, a kind of simple thing, and I want to like dive into it more and kind of figure out what makes it tick. But I guess it, I think it's just the sound design makes the gunshots sound good, right? Like the visual design makes the gunshots look good. Right? John like, Wick has great gunplay, right? Yeah, like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Right? Like John Wick has great fucking gunplay, um, and that's all that you know. That's all that you could really say about it. I guess. Yeah. It's. I, I think part of it is like it's real enough that like you can feel it, but it's also not afraid to like edge into like superhumanness when it mm. needs to, right? Like it's, you know, you know, the, the, one of the things that it gets a lot of accolades for from from gun people is is that you know it's relatively it's relatively good gun, like you know, uh, accurate gunplay, right? It's it's not like weird you know action movie stuff that's that's unbelievable you know he, yeah, he moves like no gun- infinite clips i feel like that's a big one and i've seen it pop up in other places like people are learning that you know like okay you actually need to like reload your guns or whatever um and i sort of wonder how much uh that is like part of me honestly thinks a little bit that um that that's also just like a result of sort of like archer you know like making fun like this is just something that we make fun of a lot now um, in general, and so it's kind of like a wider pop cultural phenomenon. Um, but <clears throat> it, it also the part of it too is it also enables neater action, right? Like some of the coolest parts of these movies are like 
you know, in the second movie, John Wick runs out of bullets and literally throws the fucking gun at someone, right? Yeah. Or like, and the, the whole that whole uh, uh, what's it called the, the the museum scene is him not having enough ammo, which you know kind of gets into that gamey aspect. But you know, it's it's him, uh, you know, shooting people and then like taking their guns and going forward. Um, again, very gamey. I want I wonder if kind of the ubiquity of video games makes people more aware of the fact that you run out of ammo and that's why it, it, it it's it, it's coming back in right like you know honestly it, that's legit right <laughs> like um but but you know I, I i think that's 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 part of the bigger thing right like if you have a gun with infinite ammo in it effectively all you can do is shoot people if you run out of bullets you have cooler things that you can do to, to you know choreograph your way through the fight scene um, and I think that that really adds depth to the action. Um, uh, and and I, I, I think that's a big part of it. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. I, we managed to stretch it out for another couple of minutes. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, there's a couple of things that I want to bring up that are uh, sort of follow-ups to things that we have already talked about. Um, the first one being that the first weekend of Hearthstone Grandmasters, I actually think it's going on right now, uh, the first weekend of Hearthstone Grandmasters, which is like the new thing with specialists that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, has uh, finally broken through, and we have seen kind of the terror that, that, <laughs> that specialist has wrought. Over the course of the three days, Warrior has showed up in basically everyone's decks, um, so, uh, a lot of ba today's games, there were of the 12 combatants, uh, there were 11 warrior decks and one hunter deck in throughout all of the, you know, like throughout all of the matches, which I'm honestly a little bit surprised about because yesterday there were nine warrior decks and one hunter, one mage, one rogue, and the mage did really well, um, and I was expecting more people to start bringing mage as a counter to as a counter to warrior, but I guess they just didn't for some reason. Um, so uh, the Hearthstone subreddit has kind of been up in an uproar. Everyone is sort of saying like, "This is exactly what happens when you start doing specialist." Just as a reminder for folks, specialist is a is a game mode where you pick one deck and you have two alternate versions of the deck that can sub in and out five additional cards um, in order to kind of vary things up. And a lot of people have been saying that Specialist is going to kind of, like, destroy the Hearthstone meta and Hearthstone esports because they're not going to... Um, it's just going to devolve everything into, like, these crazy, you know, like, rogue v. rogue mirror matches or warrior v. warrior mirror matches. Yesterday was particularly brutal because with all of the, you know, with all of the warriors, um, those control warrior mirror matches can just be really tough to get through. Um, though I will say it looks as though people have gone away from the 100% defensive option and have started bringing in bomb warrior which is kind of the more offensive option that shuffles bombs that do damage to you when you draw them into your opponent's deck so that has been a pretty big uh that has been a pretty big deal and there is a couple uh you know so and it is not quite as grueling as like you know two uh, immovable objects never moving um but yes yeah, so we have finally seen the we have finally seen what what specialist has wrought and people are not super happy about it 
Yeah, well, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't. That that sounds that sounds like shit. <laughs> I'm really uh, I'm I'm very interested to see how it shapes up in the future. Um, because like it's really interesting to me today that everyone brought warriors. Um, because yesterday I was so sure after the fucking mage just like stomped the warrior. I think it was two zero or maybe two one. Um, the, the the one player who was playing mage stomped the warrior with it, and I was like, "Yikes! Everybody's gonna fucking bring mage tomorrow," but they didn't. Yeah. Um, I don't, so do you think this, this this is a problem then of uh, I don't want or this is a problem with players hewing too hard to the meta in their minds, right? Like like them do acting this way because they think they have to or if it's a legitimate problem with the with the format so i've actually heard this take and i think that this take is correct which is that the meta is actually more varied than that right we actually have statistics on that right like you know if i go to hs replay right now which is like the the place that dominates um the the two tier one decks are secret hunter and token druid Neither of those decks are Warrior, right? Now, Warrior is in Tier 2 with Bomb Warrior, Mechathune Warrior, and Control Warrior. Uh, but, like, the best decks in the meta pretty clearly for, like, the average player are not these meta decks. Um, but uh, one, of the, one of the players in Grandmasters on a podcast recently started talking about, you know, Hearthstone Grandmasters. And something that he said that I thought was very wise was that... Pro players have their own meta, right? Even if you have a completely balanced meta where, you know, there are a lot of different classes that can play a lot of different things, which is very true, right? You know, in the top two tiers, we have Hunter, Druid, Shaman, Rogue, Warrior, Mage, Warlock, right? Which only leaves out Priest uh, and Paladin as far as, like, viable classes go, right? So there is a, a viable cl- there's a viable deck for every... Um, for every class except for two of them that's pretty fair that's pretty good for you know like for hearthstone and for kind of like diversity in the meta and everything like that um but the problem is even when you have a diverse meta like the one that we have right now the pro players will not reflect that meta in fact they will probably reflect something much much tighter where they will say this is the best deck in the meta start playing it a lot everyone will see one another play uh, play it and the pro players will kind of coalesce around singular decks in the meta and kind of create their own pocket meta game in a way um that dominates hearthstone for for like the esports scene and when you had old formats like conquest and last hero standing which forced players to bring a variety of different classes and deck lists right like the the classes that did the best in worlds were definitively mage and shaman people who banned rogue and targeted warrior with their lineups did really really well so the idea that specialist has kind of come back to this point where everyone is just spamming warrior all the time does seem a little bit weird in light of uh, in light of that and of those things. But I definitely think that because like you know pro players are still players and they are playing in a meta game of twelve people, right? Uh, they are just as prone to kind of like coalescing an unfun meta f- amongst themselves uh, as anybody else would be prone to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, that makes that makes absolute sense to me. I'm very afraid that they are going to nerf that they are going to nerf Warrior, which I do not think that they should do. I think Rogue deserves the nerf, and once Rogue gets nerfed, Warrior will not be played as much. Um, 
Just because, like, the thing... The, the, the problem with the meta right now is that Rogue is the best deck and Warrior is the best against Rogue. Um, and as soon as you bring Rogue down a little bit, I feel like those mages and those hunters uh, will be much stronger in being able to kind of, like, go after this super slow warrior play. Uh, okay. <laughs> you, you, you know you know better than me, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I, sorry. I, I, I understand. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I understand that that is not... That, that's a lot of me talking at you guys. <laughs> but I wanted <laughs> no. to just follow up because it's no, something no. that we brought up earlier. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Um... So, I guess the next thing to talk about then, um, I've been playing a bunch of Rage 2, um, which is really grabbed me at this point. Um, in, the, in the same way that, like, I don't know. So, this feels like it's, it's, an, op- it's an open world shooter, but, like, the gunplay is just so, like, it, it's very arena sh- shootery, right? Like, it, it's by id, so it feels very doomy, right? Like you, you, you bounce around, you shoot shotguns, and you—it's it's not like the tip, like the current kind of like ADS careful shots game, which is also a thing I enjoy. But this is just so much different, right? It's you know bounce around, do double jumps and whatever, um, uh, throw throw weird boomerang grin sticks at people. It's 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 great. Um, uh, couple like couple complaints uh biggest one is that there's fall damage which is like what, what the fuck right like this is a, this is a, <laughs> i'm so unused to having fall damage in games and to having this like this like hyper bouncy shooter is just like very unnerving but um a bigger one um and, and i'm gonna uh, this is a little bit of a rant but um uh, as as people may or may not know i am left-handed and i remap almost all of my key bindings um and this game has most it has key bindings, but it's buggy. Um, and for ninety percent of the or eighty eighty percent of the game, I guess it's all right. But like, there's this weird thing where like the right key for motorcycles won't rebind, the left and right key for helicopters won't rebind, and then the defibrillator, which is like the re- the resurrection mechanic, um, also doesn't rebind, kind of explicitly. And this always wow. happens a little bit, but I'm just getting fucking tired of it, right? Like this is it's it's 2019, right? Like it's this this is not hard to do, and you know I can live with it. But like for people who have a legitimate disability, right, and need to be able to do this stuff so they can enjoy the fucking game, having this this, this kind of bullshit bugs in the game is is near on unex- fucking excusable, and it, it just like pisses me off to no end that like. You know th- this bullshit. Like I can't use motorcycles in this game, right? Because the left, the left fucking key rebound, but the right key didn't, and so I can't turn right, and that's fucking infuriating, right? Yeah. And like flying, around, I deal with flying around the helicopters is the best way to get places, but it's like, you know, what the fuck, guys? Right? Like this isn't that fucking hard. Test your fucking game. It's it, it just, I don't know. It's a lot of curses, but it's just fucking. It's infuriating, right? It, it, it's. This isn't a problem that I should be having at this point. No, definitely. Um, yeah, I am. Yeah, I am absolutely on board with with you on that one. Yeah, it's, and you know, it's it's not some indie game either, right? This is Bethesda, and you know, may, maybe they're not like, you know, 
EA or Activision, but they, they're 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 a big fucking studio, right? Like this, it's it's it, it's Doom, right? Like this 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 it's it's, it's it's just bullshit. Um, but you know, other than that, still a fun game. Um, if you like these open world shooter games, you could do worse. Um, I almost wanted to say that like it's like a better version of Fallout Four. Um, but in wow. like the op, but in the opposite direction of what you would want, right? Like it is a better shooter than Fallout Four is, if it, but not a better RPG. Um, uh, but I don't know if I can if that really differentiates itself super well from say like the Far Cries of the world. Um, honestly, I guess the the uh, the 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 big differentiator or the the big game to to compare it to would be the new Far Cry game, the one that's like a sequel to Far Cry 4. I haven't, I haven't looked at it, but it's got, it's got almost, now that I'm thinking about it, it's got like the same color palette, um, with the like weird pinks, um, and whatnot. Um, uh, so that's cool. Um, but you know, it's a fun time waster. Um, until I guess border, what I really want is Borderlands 3 and, uh, you know, Randy is Randy or whatever, and I'll fucking deal with him. But like, I just, <laughs> I just love fucking loot and I love dumb fucking shooting, so I'm I'm waiting for that. It's kind of, kind of rolling off of that um, into Borderlands adjacent news. Have you heard about any of this epic uh, epic store bullshit? Yeah, so we have not talked all that much about it, which has been a pretty big deal. What are what are, hit me with your thoughts? What are your what are your top level thoughts about the epic uh, the epic store? The, yeah, the epic store. All right, so so the thing I, just just so it doesn't get lost, the thing I'm talking about right now is there's a sale going on, and um, Vampire the Masquerade was the first game to get pulled. Then there was an indie game that got pulled, and Borderlands Three has now been pulled from the Epic Store um, because Epic is paying for a ten dollar discount on any game over fifteen dollars. This includes pre-orders, and so all the all the companies are mad because it like it's got some weird economic effect. Effect, and I'm not an economist, but it essentially decreases the perceived value of the game. Um, for it to be ten dollars off before it before it uh, before it really goes on sale, um, and there's some other issues with that too. Uh, most notably, that like um, uh, Angriest Pat of Super Best Friends fame tried to buy like five games, but because and because the Epic Game Store doesn't have a cart, um, he bought them all separately. But it marked his account as suspicious, and so he got <laughs> kept buying games. Um, and I think this is kind of like the the the, the teacup or or or, or, or that's that uh, is it uh, case in point maybe is the right way to put it. Uh, the Epic Store is bad, right? Like it is not a well and full fleshed out store. That being said, I do not understand this, this this cavalcade of what appear to be Steam fanboys being like the Epic Game Store is immoral. And everybody should be selling things on Steam, which I don't. I, I just don't understand this. this, this that, that fucking take. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah. Uh, do you want to go? I don't, I don't want to. Well, so, so my thing with this that I find kind of like I, I am, I am in a certain sense contemptuous of this whole conversation. Um, but something that I do have a lot of contempt for is that like I don't like the tactics that Epic is using. Right? I think sure. they, they are bad for consumers, um, and you know, like. They're just, they're just bad for people, right? Like we so, so are how, not how are they bad for served. consumers? Because I don't understand this take. 
I think there is a real I think that there is a real uh like barrier towards like I just think exclusivity is like you would want more accessibility for your games, right? And this is something that like consoles are have been built on, but I don't like it in consoles either, right? Like the best way to you know, like, you want to be able to play everything. And so the Epic Store locking, you know, your account or locking locking certain games behind their own kind of, like, exclusive marquee is, is like, shitty. Because you want to you consolidate all these things on your computer. Now, I think there are counter-arguments to this. But, like, just in general, right? Like, that, that's, that's, sort of like, that's sort of, like, a principle. But the thing is, is that, like, almost in, like, a Game of Thrones way, how else do you break the monopoly that Steam essentially has on PC gaming, right? Like, you can't win this by playing fair with Valve, if that makes sense. And Epic has a lot of money. They have Fortnite. And they are clearly willing to essentially fight dirty by just paying people to abandon Steam, which sucks for, you know, like, which sucks for us in a certain sense. In certain places, it doesn't suck as much. Um, but, like, yeah, I don't like, I, like, I kind of feel like it is, in a, in a certain sense, if we were all still in a day without DRM or accounts in general, where I was just like buying stuff, like if everything was Green Man Gaming or whatever, and I or GOG, and I just bought it and I and I downloaded it to my PC and it's in my start folder drive or whatever. But the thing is, is that like we made we kind of like made that deal with the devil to be like, okay, you know, like Steam has a good digital storefront for all of this stuff, and it has this like little bit of light DRM. But, like, it consolidates all of my games in one one place and offers a whole bunch of extra tools that make things easy, like the workshop or whatever. Um, or, like, you know, just, like, a navigable store sort of thing. And so, like, in a certain sense, I sort of think that we're being kind of, like, punished for that, like, that bargain, right? Like, oh, you were willing to, you know, like, you were willing to do this when it was Steam, which is very true. We were all willing to do this when it was Steam. And now Epic wants a piece of the puzzle, and the only way that they can do that is by doing all of this exclusivity nonsense. Um, so I, I'm going to push back just because, like, I get what you're saying, but I don't buy this exclusivity argument, right? There's no $200 price tag on the fucking Epic Store, right? You download an installer and you install a storefront like you did with Origin, like you do with the fucking Ubisoft Store, like you do with GOG if you want fucking GOG, like you do with Steam, right? Like the argument against consoles is that you have to buy a console, right? And that's, I think, a, a legitimate argument. Exclusive suck on console because you have to buy four different pieces of hardware if you want to get everything, right? You're the, the Epic Store doesn't cost anything to install. It's free, and the store's shitty, but that's technical problems with the Epic Store, right? It's, it's, it's not like, it's, it's not like, you know, economic consumer problems. So I don't, I don't buy this. It's a consumer, uh, it's a consumer issue problem. In fact, if anything, it's better for consumers because there's more places for developers to put their games where they get different rates on their return, which lets them uh, be more free with their prices, right? Like, you know, as shitty as it was for Metro, whatever the latest Metro game was, to go exclusive with the Epic Store after it was selling copies on Steam, right? I think that's a shitty business practice. Um, consumer or anti-consumer, that's a different debate. But the thing that that allowed them to do was it allowed them to sell their game at $50 a pop because they were making the same money regardless of they passed that savings on to the consumer. That can't happen when Steam's the only, you know, game in town 
and it's taking a 30% cut regardless, right? And it only drops it down after like millions of dollars in sales. Um, Epic takes a, a smaller cut from the beginning, an even smaller cut if you're using Unity, which or not Unity, uh, Unreal, uh, which is their which is their engine. Um, and uh, you know, maybe nobody, not everybody passes their savings on to to the consumer, but at least that option's there, right? Like, and, and you know, again, I'll, I'll agree with you that like paying for exclusivity is shady, maybe, but. Um, I think this is like a lot of like, uh, is much ado about nothing. Um, uh, on the other, okay, I, I, you know, I get that. That makes sense. The the other side of this coin, which I will also rail against, just just you know, to to be fair, is people defending Epic because the developers get a better cut. Um, if the developer isn't passing that cost on to you, you shouldn't. Or rather, you can be nice, and you know, I'm not going to tell you, you know, that you shouldn't care about game developers or whatever, but at a certain level as a consumer, you really shouldn't, right? Like at the end of the day, these are businesses and you need, you need to be looking out for, for yourself. Right. I think, I think it's, it's very easy to be like, Oh, these are game people. And they're, you know, in that parasocial way, right? Like these are my friends and I want them to make the most money. Like, no, you're, they're selling you a product and you are buying a product and, if they see more money on the back end, that means diddly fucking squat to you as the consumer. So don't get pulled in by that one either. Um, and you know, that, that's kind of my, 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 my sum total on, on the Epic store. Um, other than it's also like just a, a bad store, a bad, bad store technically. And it needs to, to get its fucking shit together. Um, but that's not a consumer issue, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about, because I have been watching things and, and uh, you know, uh, doing stuff, is Barry, which is the HBO show that I've talked about before on the podcast. I need you to watch Barry. Specifically I, I... because watching Barry after watching John Wick, or watching Barry like before watching John Wick... Really helped me see that like Barry is like John Wick, but like a comedy. <laughs> I and I think it, you would it's love on it. my list. Okay. It's definitely on my. I love Bill Hader. Um, I, you, uh, so so maybe this is the this is the white whale of this of this week's episode. I feel like so we should probably get into it. So Game of Thrones episode five, the bells came out last week. Um, next week we are doing a special midweek kind of uh, after the Game of Thrones finale. We're doing a whole thing on it, um, so we're we're not going to go super crazy in depth here. But I will say spoilers for everyone if you haven't seen season eight, episode five yet. Um, the the bells has been pretty 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 controversial episode. Mango, it's pretty controversial. <laughs> You, do, and, you, you don't say. And um, uh, and I have to say, like, you know, I can't help but be part of the controversy because I also, like, fucking hate Game of Thrones now because <laughs> they, they ruined my waifu. Your but waifu was always trash. There's a lot of debates happening on the internet, and I think you and I are kind of poster trials for the opposite sides of that debate. So we'll probably get into this more thoroughly, um, you know, in that special episode. Uh, but... 
I watched, but but this is this is where it got me to bury. It's like I watched that episode. And I was just like fucking full of like loathing or whatever. And Rachel was there, and she was like, she was like, oh, like oh man, I it sucks. He's having such a tough time. And so we put on Barry, and I watched set the seven episodes of Barry in in season two, just like back to back, because it's just such an engaging show. Um, and it completely like wiped my bad mood at like this like sour Game of Thronesness away. Um, anyway, so uh, you know, so long story short, in the bells, Daenerys Targaryen is secretly a genocidal monster, I guess. And so that. What do you sucks. mean secretly? The whole yeah, time. No, she's okay, been... okay. So you, this that's this this is your. You yeah. Make your case. Make your case. Make so. Daenerys has always been has always had these urges. She's always been, you know, ruled by the fist, right? We've talked about like how she's she's balanced between uh, f- compassion and rage, and you know, I won't I won't say that you, you you can't complain that this was done rather rapidly, but I always thought that this was go- that this was the arc for her character. Dick, I actually was afraid that it wasn't going to happen because you know you have to have Daenerys be the the, the goodest girl and win. Um, I'm very happy that this went this way, but like she's always she's always been this way. She was this way earlier than I thought she was. As friend of the show X pointed out, she was willing to burn the other cities and slavers bay to the ground. You know, consequences be damned. She's always been cruel, and this is just kind of the natural extension of that, right? Like I think. What, this do, you, what is do you mean a- that she was always willing to like burn the other the other? Because this is kind of my – this is kind of like the the defense that I see a lot of people make along these sorts of lines. What you are doing is condemning her for thought crime, right? Because she never follows through on any of those things, right, until until now. So it's kind of like you get in an argument with somebody and then afterwards they say, God, like I just wanted to like fucking kill that person or whatever. Well, they're not a murderer, you know? Like a, what to what degree is, is Daenerys Targaryen allowed – sort of this this level of kind of like so, hyperbolic so, you know, so whatever you know i'm not saying that she you know she absolutely needed to go in this direction right like i'm just saying that that the the signs were there right like she says what she's ta- sitting down with Tyrion and talking about how they're going to deal with the slavers and she says i'm going to take my dragons and going to burn those cities to the ground and Tyrion says Please don't. And then she doesn't. And this is like how her character works. She wants to do something crazy. And then her advisors talk her down off the, the ledge. And she doesn't have any advisors anymore. And you can talk about how justified some of these actions are. And sometimes she she, she goes all the way, right? She burns the Tarleys to death. She crucifies the masters in a way that's not great. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that the moment she says she's going to burn the cities and slavers bay to the ground that she's you know that that's the moment at which we know that or that she that she's evil i'm saying that, that lays the groundwork for her to, to make this like th- this flip is not unpredicted or not without precedent right and this okay. flip is consistent with that arc and you could arc so, her in a different so, way right like you so could, the other thing that i think people say in response to this right like yes it was foreshadowed in the sense that like sure right we have seen uh, we have seen instances in Daenerys' past where she is willing to be, like, this cruel um, and this sort of, like, malicious or whatever. It was not, however, earned. What, like, do you, how, do you, how do you feel in, in, like, in regards to that sort of thing? So that's, that's a tougher question to answer 
in that I think in general the pace of these last seasons has been too fast. Yeah. Um, and so do I buy that argument? Yes. Do I buy that argument as being exceptional to Daenerys? No. Right? Like the, the, these are things that happen to other characters too. And I think that's a, a more systematic problem to the later seasons of the show sure i don't know if that's like a weird way to split that hair um like do i think it would have been better if it was a little if it took a little bit longer maybe Mm. i do think though that she has maybe the best kind of uh, of of all these situations right like uh, i think a good comparison is like jamie flipping back to cersei i think that's a neat arc for him if they give him more time for it, right? Like that he can't escape the monster that he is. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think was really poignantly put to it when uh, Tyrion says to him, you always knew, you always knew who, who Cersei was, um, but you loved her anyway, right? Like I think that's like the beginning of the end for Jaime. Um, and I wish that there was a little bit more breathing room for that. But, you know, it it it, it, uh, it made sense to me. And I think in the, in, in the same way this happens to Danny, I think she gets a little bit more because... There's, like, a bunch of different attempts to take King's Landing in a peaceful way that don't work. Um, and then she loses Masande. Um, and she also loses Jorah, unrelated, but, like... And then she loses Faith in Tyrion, and, uh, you know, and she gets betrayed by Varys. And these are are all things that I think build to that tipping point for her um in a way that you know she's not even i guess totally at fault for but like make it it's it's given i think a little bit more attention than people want to admit um like also if you want to say that like you know i I think wrapped up in this is is varus's actions um and I think I've come around to the idea that Varys was qu- too quick to turn on Daenerys. Yeah, um, da- da- Varys very clearly wanted to poison Daenerys yeah. before she had done anything at all. Um, and, and uh, <laughs> yeah, Va- and you know, Varys and, like, is a pretty hardcore piece of shit. If you like lay it out, to be honest, like yeah, like uh, if 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 you want to wrap that whole thing together in one, where like there, like you know then maybe I buy it a little bit more. But I think I think the the you know right thing to do is separate out the fact that Varys Varys is, suffers from these same problems much worse, right? Um and if you take the part of that arc that's him turning too fast and just focus on him actually turning and that that pushing Daenerys over the edge, I think it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Do you follow me? I definitely do. Um I think Anyone who says that this was foreshadowed, right, um, is kind of wrong. But, like, in a a kind of, like, categorically wrong, which is to say that, like, we're kind of mixing and matching sort of, like, definitions of foreshadowing what is specifically being foreshadowed. For instance, I don't – what I was on record – I am on record as saying that if they go, quote-unquote, the Mad Queen with Daenerys, um, that I will be done. I will be done with this show, and I'll be pissed off forever, and my my contempt will be everlasting, which is what ended up happening, right? Uh, but that is not to say that, like, a version of things where Daenerys suffers a fall, right, um, 
isn't wouldn't be acceptable or good. I mean, in a lot of ways, this is what Game of Thrones is built on, right? Like, sure, I would have liked to see Ned on the Iron Throne or Stannis on the Iron Throne, but these are both characters who have kind of tragic fall, falls from grace, right? My the, the problem is, and the problem with the foreshadowing kind of thing is, Daenerys has been foreshadowed to be cruel, right, and to be ruthless, Right. But she has never been foreshadowed to be unmotivated in either of those. Right. All of her violence is tied into that kind of like motivation. And the problem with this episode and the lack of foreshadowing is that Daenerys's cruelty is not a byproduct. It is the like it is the ends in and of itself, which is what is so infuriating. For instance, like, you know, like, let's just imagine a version of things where, you know, it like the sack of King's Landing is not as is not as easy as it was. And so you're like, okay, okay, here 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 it is. Imagine that it was it had nothing to do with any of this Bell's bullshit, but it was about the use of Drogon, right? Tyrion and John wanted to take the city militarily, like conventional military, right? And they didn't want to use Drogon. We know wildfires beneath the city. Tyrion knows this, right? And so he's like, listen, if you use Drogon, you set the city on fire, it's going to go really poorly you can't use drogon kind of thing and danny goes okay sure right that that's the agreement that she makes in the same way that she makes the agreement about like the bells or whatever and then over the course of this battle right it's clear that john and his forces they're just too wounded they're too tired out the golden company is the golden company and daenerys makes the decision to mount drogon and use drogon to defeat the golden company and the lannister army right but Tyrion's kind of like portent of the city blowing up with wildfire and in ruins in a way that they can't kind of control, right? Like, and this is the thing that makes people like John and Davos and whoever else kind of like all turn on Daenerys, right? Like, are you you can have the exact same thing with Arya in there or whatever, right? That is motivated, right? In a way where it's like Stannis or even like Ned, right? Where it is, it is the result of a character's like decision and Daenerys is so kept up with the ambition of taking the throne and she doesn't trust John to lead the troops there or she doesn't trust you know Tyrion's battle strategy or whatever and so she you know and so she has to throw that stuff aside and use Drogon and commit this essential atrocity right but she commits it for like for a a purpose i think that would be a lot like Stannis right Stannis didn't just burn Shireen because he wanted to he was in an inenviable position and he couldn't retreat there was no retreat there was no surrender the only way they go is forward and the only way to go forward is to burn his daughter alive at the stake right and that is harrowing and that is haunting and it is awful and I think it would be like a similar kind of like awful thing but if you want to go for a tragic turn with Daenerys it has to be something kind of along those lines what we got in the show was very different than that it was Daenerys and her forces have already won they have already defeated Cersei. Cersei is a paper tiger she has crumbled King's Landing was so easy to take because of Daenerys and the power of Drogon and then the bells ring and she sits on this fucking you know she sits on this wall and as the creators say in the you know in the after the episode because you need to watch these things in order to get like the full context of what's going on because they're not well written anymore 
they say that she literally snaps, right? And she decides to burn, like, the whole city then and there. That creates this kind of, like, gross unzipping effect that I've described as, like, you know, you can't... You, it, it's no longer a give and take, right? It's no longer a question of, like, ethics or morals or whatever anymore, right? Daenerys is bound by her Targaryen bloodline and her destiny. The gods flipped a coin and it turned out that she's fucking crazy and she's been crazy this whole time, right? All she needed was to be put in a position where she couldn't mask her craziness with justice anymore. And that is awful. That is just god awful storytelling because not only does it like not only is this moment completely unearned right and basically kind of out of nowhere um it goes back in time and undoes all of the stuff that came before do you know what i mean right and that i think is like the ultimate kind of tragedy of the poor writing in game of thrones is that it is not just like this one instance in this one moment it is that it goes back to everything Daenerys has ever done and makes you go, yeah, she was secretly just crazy the whole fucking time. And, you know, she just didn't get a chance to show everyone until King's Landing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I actually do not. I do not watch those post uh, episode clips. So I did not hear that, which makes it worse. I was going to counter. <laughs> right? I know. It makes so much worse I, I like I, I was going to counter argue with that you know I think you can read into the motivate the motivation that she she has decided that she's going to rule through fear right and like you know yeah I think that would be a harder or a, a hard sell but I could believe that she decides to burn King's Landing to put fear into Westeros right and like I think you can get to Stannis that way right like yeah, but if if it's literally her going crazy, right? Like this, this is the flip side of the I don't want to, you know, my view, which is I don't want tar- a Targaryen on the throne because you know I don't want you know the predestination of the blood thing. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So you know, yeah. I yeah, I mean, I Maddie Iglesias of Vox uh, has a kind of death of the author take, which I am sort of like sympathetic to. In the sense, he says before the finale airs, I don't think we should accept the extra textual behind the episode material as authoritative regarding why Daenerys burned the city. Their take is that it's a moment of insanity that has no strategic rationale. But I think the rationale is actually pretty clear. She doesn't want to set the precedent that a city can resist her with scorpions and then surrender without consequences if their air descent if their air defenses fail after all there are any number of castles in westeros and she only in westeros and she only has one dragon it would be extremely risky for her to fly around the seven kingdoms doing this one castle at a time the precedent that resistors will die whether or not they surrender by contrast greatly reduces the odds that she'll need to attack anyone at all it's a horrifying atrocity but it's not crazy and i think that this is true this is kind of what i'm getting at right but the thing is is that i don't think it's supported by the episode part of this is that we don't see daenerys in a state of mind where she is making strategic decisions at all i actually really like the part of this episode where she says Cersei thinks our mercy is a weakness, which is so true and so to the core of what, you know, is appealing about Daenerys is that she is just unwilling to fight with, you know, one hand tied behind her back the way someone like Ned Stark was. Um, But the episode continually just frames her as she's in great pain and that is and that makes her crazy. The version of Daenerys where she makes a calculated decision to do something 
horrendous and awful, but that she thinks is for the best of, you know, like for the best of her rule or whatever, I think would be more palatable. Um, and that's where that kind of like, you know, rule through fear thing kind of comes in mind. Yeah. So since we're at the end of the episode and we, this is our last opportunity before the episode comes out. Do you want to register any predictions? Oh God. I think John will abdicate the throne. Um, I think uh, he will Ooh. follow in the footsteps of Maester Aemon and stick true to this I don't want it sort of thing. And that, you know, like whatever version of things happens in Game of Thrones after, people are going to be like, John, it should be you. And he's going to be like, no, it's not fucking me. Shut up about it, kind of. So, um, so who do you think sits the throne then? I, you know, I don't know that there is one. I think maybe the answer... I think I would actually be a little bit partial to this version of things where, like, democracy is better than feudalism than feudal monarchism would be an okay sort of uh like okay sort of moral and like the only way to win the game is not to play kind of answer from Jon Snow would be sort of satisfying um I think the version of things where you know Daenerys is not undone because of you know like whatever else but just like the pursuit of the throne in and of itself like this becomes a story about like absolute power corrupts absolutely essentially is an okay way to it's brutally basic for a show as complex as game of thrones but kind of whatever um you know yeah. uh what other I, th I think Tyrion gets killed by Bronn. that's probably my big uh okay i think Tyrion is what you know like whatever the case may be Tyrion is going to lose his power right um, as Hand of the Queen, or as kind of, like, whatever, um, which he kind of deserves, to be honest. Tyrion, boy, we'll, we'll talk about Tyrion, I guess, later. Um, but my hope is that, um, uh, you know, like, the comeuppance for Tyrion will be Bronn, right? Bron he makes this promise to Bronn, and Bronn shows up coming to collect, and Tyrion is utterly powerless to deliver, and Bronn shoots him. I feel like that would be a very fitting kind of Game of Thrones, uh, uh, ending for for the character of Tyrion. Interesting. All right. My my prediction is is opposite of that in a way. I think I don't know exactly how he, they get there, but I think um, Tyrion and Sansa end up being the rulers. Um, and I think that um, the more important part of this, and the thing I think is more likely, is um, John kills Daenerys in a way that's reminiscent of him executing her, you know, he, he wields the sword, you know, and carries out his executions in a way that Daenerys never did. And this is kind of symbolic of what's been wrong with her is that she doesn't actually ever do her own dirty work. Um, and he executes her. Um, and then she gets a happy ever afterlife scene with, with, uh, with, with, uh, Dro with Drogo. Um, and then they, you know, surf off into the afterlife. And yeah, I'm, I'm, what do you think happens to Drogon? Do you think Drogon dies? Uh, I don't know. Yes? It would be really sad if Drogon dies. Like, on one hand, I think it makes sense. You kind of can't have, like, this rampaging monstrosity um, around. But I kind of hope that, like, once Daenerys dies, Drogon just kind of, like, pieces out and is just an animal somewhere <laughs> like, john you know rides I mean? drogon around the north right. <laughs> <laughs> that you know what if 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 i'm going to take into it like into account like how bad i think the writers are 
um, or well, whatever the fucking person is, right? Um, John rides Drogon around the north and is Lord of the North, and not the north of of the Wall. Floor. You know, to be honest with you, you're right. I really should anticipate the. I really should anticipate the writers to be worse. I think it's going to be bad, and I think I'm giving them too much credit. God, it's got to be something really like dumb. I think John might still abdicate, but I feel I like think... we might just not get answers to certain things. Like I feel like there's oh, yeah. things hanging, like plot, like like <laughs> POD Prince Adorn, nameless Prince Adorn from Episode Four, just. What? Who knows, man? Who fucking? Knows? Oh, you know what? I could see that, right? Like it gets off. It's you know, like oh, I guess the king's the prince of Dorne because he's the technically the next one by lineage. Whatever shows over. Yeah. Um. Uh. But yeah, uh, I think that's about it. We're over. Um, Definitely. Uh, I fuck. I forgot to talk about the the Hearthstone single player adventure that came out this week, which is pretty awesome that I highly recommend. We'll talk about that later next week. Um. Yeah. All right. Well, if you want to reach out to us and tell us what you think about uh, John Wick 3 or any other things you t- we talked about on the show, you can reach us at podcast.nervousplaygames.com or nervousplaygames.gmail.com. You can uh, follow us on twitch.tv slash nervousplaygames. Please rate us and review us wherever you find good podcasts, like places like iTunes. Uh, if that's everything I had, buddy, do you have anything else you want to promote? I have nothing else that I'm looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.